welcome to the Real IQ Property Management Podcast. Recently, David Faulkner had a chance to catch up with UK property management guru Frank Webster. Frank works for an Oxford-based property management company called Finders Keepers. Finders Keepers are a multi-award winning company who take a unique 360-degree approach to property management. Frank also works as a consultant for the Property Academy in the UK. Frank was in New Zealand on a sabbatical and caught up with David at his home in Wellington. One balmy Sunday afternoon in the capital, David and Frank talked all things property management and looked at the differences between the UK and New Zealand. In this, the first of a two-part podcast, Frank explains what he's been up to in New Zealand, how finders keepers operate, and how it compares to New Zealand. We also discuss issues around tenant fees, which are being debated hotly in both countries. Well, today we're very fortuitous enough to have uh, Frank Webster from Finders Keepers in Oxford, England, who's come over to New Zealand uh, to do a bit of a sabbatical. He's had a bit of a holiday as well. Uh, Frank, it's great to have you in New Zealand. Welcome to New Zealand. Thank you very much, David. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, and uh, why do we have the honour of you uh, in New Zealand? Well, um, it's a complicated story, but in short... um, I had a daughter who was living in Wellington um, about three years ago, so we managed to come over and see her. And um, we decided we must come back. But as you know, you and I met uh, all those years ago at um, the Property Management Conference in Australia. And I guess it all started from there, really. It's all intertwined. And I was due a sabbatical, and I thought, let's kill two birds with one song. Let's come over and um, see how the Kiwis do property management and take a bit of a holiday, as, you, as you've just said. So. Uh, my daughter, unfortunately, isn't able to join us. She's uh, stuck back in the UK, but it's her intention to come back, uh, maybe make a life here. So good luck, and we'll see what happens. And you've been working with Whittle Knight Butwood down in Christchurch. Yeah, thank you for your um, introduction. It's been wonderful to um, go and uh, you know join a company down there. We've got very similar um, values uh, that we have uh, in Finders Keepers back in uh, in the UK. You know, We've always tried to set the standard um, in the rental market. Mary founded our business many moons ago, over 45 years ago, in the early days of British renting, um, really you know, set out to make sure that tenants had a really good service provided by the property manager, and also that landlords obviously had a first-class service as well. Yeah. And you know, my immediate sort of reaction across with the guys in Christchurch is that they very much embrace those principles of delivering a you know, good service to, to both landlords and tenant alike. So if we go back to the early days of, of First, what we'll do, we'll have a look at your career, then we'll have a look at how you see it comparing uh, with the New Zealand markets. I mean, so how did you get into property management? You've been with Finders Keepers for over 30 years. Too long, really. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Quite by accident. You know, the usual thing with career paths. uh, I actually went over to Germany to seek my fortune uh, from the UK, but ended up coming back. And my father saw an advert for a trainee negotiator in the local newspaper in the days when everything was in the newspaper. Mm. And um, he said, you'd be uh, good at that. You should try your hand at that. I, I'd done some retail before in the shops in Oxford. So I applied for this job, not really knowing what I was you know, really applying for, if I'm honest, which sounds terrible. But I was very lucky. I had a good old-fashioned, uh, I got the job. I had a good old-fashioned um, surveyor who was my boss and mentor. And would you believe I still keep in touch with him today? And quirkily, I actually met his son, uh, who moved over to uh, Queenstown, uh, who's a realtor right. there. So it's uh, very interesting. Um, but John still comes here quite a lot. But he kindly took me under his wing, taught me everything that I could possibly know about the ins and outs of a building and uh, property. And I did that for about six or seven years in Oxford, right in the centre with all the colleges, wonderful place, 
to work, I didn't really appreciate, I think, then, you know, where I was working. Um, and you appreciate it much more as you get older. But I bumped into a lady called Mary Channer, and um, I sold a property for her personally, and a couple for the company that she just started back in 83, I think it was, it officially got going, called Finders Keepers, didn't really know what they did. I, they did property management, Most, mostly in those days, there was hardly anybody doing property management. And she said to me one day, you look like you're a bit frustrated with the state agency, what about coming over and doing some property management and helping me with the other service that she did, which was to buy property for her clients, for investors. And I thought, that's good. She said, you can use your estate agency experience, you can help me acquire property, and I'll teach you how to manage property. And that was in 1985, the 28th of October, 1985. I remember it clearly. So quite, I mean, even those early days, it was quite visionary as a, as a company. It was Murray quite the entrepreneur? And yeah, she was in the 70s, late 70s in the UK. A lady running a business, you know, it was unheard of. It was very difficult. A local bank manager, um, she went to several banks. One bank manager gave her £500. 500 sterling, which was quite a lot of money in those yep. days in the 70s, and that enabled her to start Finders Keepers. She didn't have very much money, two very young children. Her husband was a management consultant, and uh, she had this vision. I think it was by accident. So the Finders really was the service that she was providing, uh, looking for accommodation, a house to buy for people who were working overseas, and they wanted a foothold back in the UK. And that service we carry on today very much feeds into our portfolio. Uh, it's a paid service. But people are happy to pay for it, you know, for our experience of going for the right prop, buying the right property. And then the keepers is the concept of guardianship, uh, which developed, you know, secondary for her business. The concept of guardianship of looking after that property, hence the quirky name of finders keepers. And I think quirk is the key. We've always wanted to just have that little edge to the business. Because it's, it's, it's I mean, normally you see names like Foxton's, which is synonymous. And here you are with the name, which doesn't relate to anybody who's named in the business exactly and it sounds like a poem i think it's a, a poem finders keepers losers weepers it makes people think and um you know that that's very very good i think these days so it was slightly ahead of its time and over those years we've always carried on that theme of, of just being a little bit different uh, for example we've never sold houses yeah so we are pure purely specializing in providing a good service to both the tenant uh, and the landlord alike and not distracted by trying to do the two things so some of you may be listening to this thinking, well, you know, are you are you cutting your nose? You know, are you losing opportunities uh, with other sources of income? But we found a way, um, you know, to sell properties for our landlords and still benefit from a, a cut in the income by partnering up with um, a local firm of you know yeah. real estate agents. Um, but you know, we really wanted to keep our, as I say, our focus and concentration on on developing the whole world of, of property letting and management services in the UK. And you know, we've we've done many firsts in the UK. Um, you know, uh, which are there on our, our website for people to see. So, in terms of, you don't do the sales, but you've got this unique three hundred and sixty degree um, service, which is far more than. And you've already alluded to this already with going out and finding and, and acquiring properties. But you do so much more as well than just the bog standard collecting the rents, letting the properties. I mean, what different aspects of finders keepers are there yeah absolutely it's a good point and again they've all evolved so probably our first sort of extra service that came about was our building and maintenance division which we call bricks and mortar that all happened just after i started about 1985 we had a very cold spell in the uk and we had a lot of um, properties that suffered from burst pipes and we found ourselves distracted from the business because we were there effectively acting as the site foreman 
pulling in all the trays and repairing these properties. Um, so we decided we needed to pull in somebody who could actually do that for us and evolve, you know, evolve from there really the service for landlords where we could actually improve the properties. I mean, Mary in fairness was doing it without realizing it because yeah. just instinctively having bought a property, invariably it needed a brand new kitchen and bathroom to make it competitive. So all those years ago when you didn't need to be competitive as a landlord, she was actually helping those landlords to have that edge. So bricks and mortar had a two hat, uh, two hats really, if you like. It was one uh, to improve the properties, to improve the yield, improve the capital value, get the best tenant. What, what FK is still about, and, and always was then is finding the right tenant for the right property because obviously the, it's like math two and two make four you don't have all the ensuing problems um, and then second thing is to help the property managers um, because they now are very burdened with all the sort of legislation which has grown over the years and they don't have to try and be specialists in improving properties as well as being a qualified property manager they can work closely with our building and maintenance uh, team and you know they're not burned with all that so it works very well and we make some money out of it as well so the bricks and mortar it wasn't really by listening to you it wasn't a strategic decision to to or it wasn't a planned decision it kind of just evolved out of and you sense there was an opportunity absolutely like many of these things um but now of course we work it and we make sure that it still offers a service for our landlords and our property managers um, but it really is adding value to the overall business that um, finance keepers is and and the service that we're able to offer landlords. The um, the bricks and mortar concept, I mean, you're touching on the fact that property managers, by and, and we see it a lot here in New Zealand, I mean, they become project managers by default without even realising it, and they're probably not charging a fee, you know, and being correctly remunerated for it. Well, I think that's a big issue. You, you know, I think in property management, we're very good at doing dutifully the good property managers, all the things and more that, you know, the landlords never see, and we, we I think we're guilty of doing too much and doing things that are beyond the normal property management remit. Um, and I think we've all got to get better in this modern world of, of, of sort of stopping and saying, well, this is extra and we, you know, we're going to be charging out. So what we do with the bricks and mortar is that we do charge a project management fee. Again, clients are happy to pay that fee because for them, they've got the peace of mind that the project's going to be started on time. It's going to be professionally managed through to completion. It's going to stick to its budget. And more importantly, it's going to be finished on time, ready for the incoming tenant. So we have total control over that, you know, subcontractor that we employ, um, but they're people that we trust and they trust us, and it just means that the whole project is done without any dramas. And you've got separate people with that skill set, takes the pressure off the property managers so they can focus on managing the property. Exactly, and we call them project managers, and they work, and some of them indeed uh, have been former property managers. They've mm -hmm. had a great career in property management and asked if they could move forward into our project management department. And the other spin-off, of course, all those years ago, Oxford is a bit unique, but we have a lot of furnished properties. So invariably, Mary was going off by herself um, looking for furniture and furnishing these properties uh, because mostly landlords' own furniture was not very good. Yes. And as standards evolved in the hotel trade and in the rental business, um, you know, it needed to have the edge on the furnishing as much as the new kitchens and bathrooms. So decorum was set up probably in the early 90s as another one of our uh, subdivisions. Decorum Interiors, um, basically it's an interior design service, so it works in partnership with our building and maintenance team uh, who don't worry about curtains and carpets and the choices of colours and materials. That's all down to Decorum, our interiors section. So they'll work very closely together and when a landlord gives us a whole property to refurbish, we will be working all that together and the tile choices, the ceramic tiles, the flooring choices, the type of lighting, all that has to be properly 
you know, thought through. Otherwise, it's a mess. Yeah. Uh, it, it all becomes very piecemeal. So, and again, again, it, again it's a separate skill set. Separate altogether. skill set. We've got a lady um, who's heading that up, who is an interior designer, and um, you know, again, she's got those skill sets, and um, it means that we're not waiting on a sofa or a dining table because the retailer didn't push the order through or it's stuck in transit. Everything is there and ready and delivered on time in the um, in the property for the tenant to um, to move into without you know without any issues. Okay, so I mean we've touched on already. There's three concepts here. So you can go out and you can find the property, you can renovate the property, and then you can do the interior design of the property. Yep. And then absolutely. it comes and then it comes into the basics of property management, the finding the tenants, the right tenant for the right property, renting it out. Can we talk to on on parts of finders keepers now? I mean, in, in Oxford in itself, geographically, the the area that you cover, it's Oxford and the surroundings. What population size would that be? Yeah, well, Oxford itself is quite small, really. It fluctuates the population simply because obviously we have a large student cohort. But I think uh, the population is in the region of one hundred and sixty-five, hundred and seventy thousand there are there are thereabouts. It's not huge. Um, yeah, Oxford is mainly driven by um, the two universities that we have. The main key university, obviously very historic, um, started off all those years ago really training young men to be theologians and then it obviously evolved into its various specialisms and now people travel around the world to either come and lecture and or be a student. Um, I think it's the oldest English speaking university in the world. The buildings of course add a certain uh, extra um, to the whole thing because they're wonderful. Uh, you can never afford to build them these days no. but in those days the wealthy landowners gave money uh, to to make sure that there was a place of study for people so it's amazing um, we're also obviously a large center for um, publishing um, and actually science research at the moment space research battery technology um, and medical so a huge number of people coming to Oxford Mary would never have guessed all that was going to happen when she started the business but of course it provides the she flow in the right, tenants so she was in the right place at the right time as, as well, well unknowingly really yeah. yeah so we cover um, Oxfordshire which is a county and we pretty much uh, have got offices that have opened um, strategically, you know, to cover each of those market towns um, and their characterful market towns. Um, very few of them sadly have markets, as in cattle markets, as they used to. And they're all evolving in their own way. Oxfordshire is a very successful county within the UK. Um, and it's a positive county in the sense it generates income back into the UK's um, coffers, basically. So it gets a lot of government focus. It's, it's quite small, it has a massive housing issue. Um, obviously we've got all this uh, fantastic stuff going on, but over the years it, the UK has been guilty of not building sufficient homes. Um, immigration and aging has sort of caught it out across the UK, but particularly Oxford. So prices are very high, yeah. presents problems for employers and the university to get you know, the people to come and work and live in the area. Uh, conversely, the prices are very high because of that, but the salaries are quite low. Academic salaries, not great. Um, the hospital, you know, NHS, the famous NHS, the salaries are quite low. So if you're looking to buy a house, it's these days it's about 14 multiple of salary. Um, you know, rents are high as well. So it's not as bad as London, but, you know, there's a lot of London there. We're only about an hour from yeah, yeah. London. So it's one of the most expensive parts of the UK. I mean, like 14 to 1 as an as a income to the size of your, your, your property prices is, is astronomical. I mean, average first time buyer age is probably about 40, 45 now. You know, it's it's a similar crazy. issues. So, I mean, we've seen similar issues obviously here in New Zealand with uh, increasing house prices, uh, particularly 
in Auckland. Yes, it's levelling out now. Wellington, where we are today. Uh, I mean, how, so you've got a population of around about 170,000, you were saying. How many properties are, are under-managed? Yeah, I mean, across the whole county, uh, the city and county, are, are, are a lot of properties, actually. It's amazing because there's probably about 47 to 50 uh, estate agencies operating. I, these days, there's probably the same, if not more, property managers. So, amazingly, they all survive, um, you know, which, again, indicative of what I've just described with, mm. with so much going on. Uh, we, as a, an agency, are managing around about um, between sort of three to three and a half thousand properties. Some of those are non-managed um, but, you know, in essence, you end up sort of pretty much helping those landlords. So certainly a solid 3,000, 3,200 properties all under management. And, and what percentage of those will be student properties compared to, you know? Just a smaller percentage. Yeah. Um, yeah. We only started our student letting agency, which is another one of our um, d sort of divisions. It's become a office in its own right now, but initially it started off as a sort of small experiment. We only started that probably in the in the mid-90s, um, we always thought student letting was uh, probably a very much of a hassling sort of part of the business that we, you know, in a dirty sort of part of the business without being rude to the students that we should sort of steer clear of. But one of our uh, senior members of staff brought us a very compelling business proposition, which actually, by the way, is one thing that we've always encouraged is the staff to feel that they, you know, can, can get involved in the business. Yeah. And it was a very well thought out uh, idea with a full business plan, spreadsheet, and he had an argument that we were missing out on, you know, business and that the fundamental uh, skills that we have as a business, the bricks and mortar decorum, are in a high level of letting and management. That we could offer a new level of service for students. And, you know, we thought about it and we thought, do you know what? These days, mums and dads want their, their children to go into a decent accommodation, you know, yeah. not one of these horror stories you hear with, you know, rats running around and cockroaches. And uh, we really sort of, as we started a lot of firsts, another first was at FK, Finders Keepers started offering the highest quality student accommodation out. And we've sort of been a bit, you know, the recipe of our own success is that um, we've now got the students queuing in a, a long row out of the street and round the corner on the day when we release our student properties because they all want to be first to, to move into and they want to get the one best. of the better properties. And of course, yeah. they're not paying for it. Mum and Dad are paying yeah, for yeah. it. But, you know, when they sit there in the evenings and they have their... Soirees and parties, they, they, they're they like any modern youth and any anybody these days, they want the best quality something. Um, and that, you know, um, so we've been very successful. Got a team of about four or five people managing um, that and they do it very differently, obviously, to the rest of our portfolio because things happen on certain dates um, and they have to be very, very re regimented and disciplined with all the paperwork. Some properties, as you can imagine, six or seven, maybe ten uh, students, that means... 10 um you know reference lots of references and uh, all the standing orders and all the tenancy agreements and all the parent guarantors that go with it is a lot mm. of paperwork yeah and in terms of um you know you touch on your students uh, is your letting for students different from other properties because what i see in in the uk it's very more like in new zealand we have uh, businesses such as trade me and they have viewing tracker where tenants can book online or inspect real estate yep and it's very much get people through en masse into a property and then the applications come in uk is a little bit different isn't it frank it is a bit yeah i mean we don't have trade me we have a couple of large portals in the uk um right move and zoopla have developed into the sort of key go-to portals if you're searching for both rental and you know um sale for sale purchase property um right move has the slight edge there are a couple of others as well. They all work in the same theme. You know, most people start their search online these days. 
Um, you know, we do have people walking into our offices and want to register, which is great. Um, but uh, sadly, I think, you know, the future for high street premises is probably like most things. If you look at the banks in the UK, it's probably, a, you know, going to change um, over the years. But at the moment, um, you can do both. And um, uh, you register. And yes, of course, on our own website, which we've pushed, um, you know, we want people to go through our own website as well. There's a facility there that, you know, people can apply for accommodation and then, you know, we'll keep in touch. But we're a business that doesn't want technology to sort of completely dictate everything that's going on. So, yes, we understand people will use that as their first sort of, uh, you know, window. When they start window shopping, it will be through the Internet. But there's a, an awful lot that we do to make sure that the people side of the people business that we're in, uh, that we don't lose sight of that. So once an applicant's registered, they'll get a lot of, you know, phone calls uh, and, and we'll keep in touch with them. Indeed, the property managers, they're all encouraged to telephone our landlords and have coffee with our landlords and meet regularly once a year. Um, email, of course, is important and texting and what have you. Um, but, you know, you know it's, very, it's very much personalised. Uh, it's... That's, it's got to be the case, you know, and I sometimes go in, I do a little bit of consultancy work now, and I sometimes go into agencies and I just, you can't even hear a pin drop, yeah. because everybody's on their phone or their iPad, um, so we really encourage everybody to, you know, move on from that and get to embrace it, but don't let it rule the roost. Yeah, yeah. So when, when, a, when a property manager's doing a viewing, they're, they're, they're taking the tenants out individually? Yeah, we operate slightly different. So it's interesting looking at the differences. I've only spent a short amount of time here with um, the guys in Christchurch, but you know, you you do have a different way. We tend to literally go out with every person, so they will register. They'll they'll want to see ten or twenty properties. Clearly, we won't show them that many. We help them whittle down, say three or five at the most. But we will then take them out in a in a car with a qualified member of staff and go and explore and look at all those properties. We don't have the open houses so much. Certainly not in the rental world but i think we've got this interesting moving forward um, as everything develops with our government looking to um, ban the fees that we take from tenants arguably you know perhaps it's been going on too long um, but whatever the arguments are it looks like that's going to go therefore i think the amount of time spent uh, with tenants sadly will go or it'll be condensed into say uk having more open houses uh, simply because we won't have the remuneration that we have now um, and the service that we provide tenants, which the government don't really get. They seem to think that, you know, um, they don't understand the service side of it and the referencing that goes with it. It's not just the referencing, it's actually the time spent arguably letting the landlord's property. But actually in the UK, most tenants are happy to pay to be shown the right properties and to be taken to around certain areas. Um, and as long as they're not being ripped off, which of course is what the government are trying to control. But most tenants are quite happy to pay for that service, and yeah. this is the annoying thing. But, yeah, the difference is here is that we'll probably spend longer than the 15 minutes that I've noticed is allocated by most property managers, you know, here in New Zealand to go and show somebody a home. Yeah. Um, and we'll take them out in the car and show them different parts of the areas as well. So, you know, it's going to have to change probably, but that's how it is at the moment. I mean, obviously, you've seen here, we've talked about, Labour come into power, they've got to get rid of the letting fee. You're going through almost exactly the same thing in the UK. It's, it's clearly a big concern. Um, what percentage of revenue could be taken away from, from the industry? I mean, I, I, you know, you'll have to go into what finders keepers, but just in general, what percentage revenue is the letting <sighs> fee in the for UK? For some agents, they've been supplementing their landlord fees you know, for far too long 
you know, increasingly charging tenants. And I think this is where the government are coming from. They, they basically want to make renting in the UK easy because going back to what we talked about the housing crisis, and it is a crisis, you know, the private renter sector, the PRS, is going to remain a strong part of the, you know, housing economy. And um, they, they, what they, the government just see more and more people, they, they, you know, renting longer. And indeed, a lot of our retirees are sort of retiring, coming away from home ownership and choosing by choice to give money to children or grandchildren and to go into rented accommodation because they don't want the repairing responsibility. So, you know, the, the, the private rent sector is growing massively. So over the course of time, in answer to your question, a huge amount um, of money has started to be charged to tenants and the landlord fee you know has been supplemented and i think for some agents it will probably effectively take them out of business they will not they'll suddenly find themselves without that income so for some it could be as much as half if not so more to, of their to, remuneration up to 50 percent and and when you look at that and you stand back and you think look it is the owner's home it you know the referencing and the inventory and the tenancy agreement really it's the owner who is letting their home and perhaps for far too long until somebody, you know, made us all stop and think about it. Perhaps for far too long, you know, you know that's been abused, and indeed it has been up and yeah. down the country. And the government recently, currently, they're looking at the tenant fee ban, and in association with that, they're going to be capping the deposit, the bond that we take in the UK, which currently is uncapped, um, and that's going to be restricted to six weeks. Right. And looking beyond that, they're already making noises, and I think rightly looking ahead and keeping our industry modernised, you know, there'll come a point where there'll be no bond payable. So there'll be no fee payable to an agent uh, or lawyer for, for renting and there'll be no bond because they want to make it as easy as possible to, so, to so rent. What can you charge a tenant? Is it almost unlimited? What At the moment, pretty tenant? much. is what, you know, local to your market, what you can get away with. And, you know, we've had instances in the, in the press where somebody might be paying 300 a month for a property, yet they've been charged £1,200 for the referencing and goodness knows what else that agent is, is charging. Um, so unfortunately, because the industry is not regulated, another issue that you guys have got here, uh, you know, unscrupulous agents have, have, you know, used that as an opportunity. And we try to get our professional association, we're a member of ARLA, which is the Association yeah. of Residential Letting Agents, um, to try and set the scene by having a cap such as you've got here, um, say of a, of a week's rent, which I think it is in New Zealand, um, only charged by a lawyer or the uh, practiced, um, you know, practicing uh, estate agent or letting agent. But sadly, the government aren't listening to that. They, they've gone beyond that stage and they want a complete ban. Um, and as I say, moving forward, potentially no deposits. So we'll be in looking at insurance schemes where tenants will be obliged to take out an insurance scheme. Yeah. Um, you know, so interesting to see where it's all going. No, it, who should pay it? The letting fee? Who do you think? If, you, if you've got a Take one side of the equation, whether it's the tenants or the landlord, who do you believe should be paying it? Well, when I started with Mary all those years ago, I remember um, I was very busy just trying to sort of get used to what it was like being a property manager. But when I saw the letting team um, sending out the invoices to the incoming landlord, uh, incoming tenant, in those days it was a professor coming over in two years' time from a Canadian university, they used to get a piece of paper saying, to your half share of tenancy preparation costs. And then there would be a bill sent to the landlord saying, to your half share inventory preparation costs. And I thought that's sensible because it's fair, it's 50-50. Yeah. So common sense would dictate technically that, you know, it's a joint arrangement, you know, you're entering into a joint tenancy agreement. You both know what you're letting yourself in for. 
you know, I, I think to me it, it should be 50-50, but it should be capped, i.e. the fee that you charge to a tenant clearly has to have some sort of limitation on it. Um, very, that's my take. That's a it. very diplomatic answer, isn't it? <laughs> but it, it, in a way, it, you do make a lot of sense because the tenant is benefiting from the work put in by the, the letting agent, as is the landlord as well. The landlord gets a tenant for the property. The letting agent is servicing the tenant by showing them around the house, giving them information on the house and helping them in their search to find a property. Yeah, but I think, you know, if you look back on it, I think one lawyer once said in the UK that, strictly speaking, if you drill down and know your law, it's probably been an illegal practice to have even been taking money, um, you know, strictly speaking, uh, since the principal client, the principal client here really is uh, the landlord. Yes. He's the one that, you know, is having his house let and you're charging him a commission for that. So, you know, you could look at it that way. I like to think that we're going to move on and we're not going to let this tenant fee ban uh, drag us down. There's been a lot of excitement about it. It's probably not going to happen because of certain thing called Brexit going on in the UK at the moment. Um, but it's probably not going to happen until probably um, earliest April 2019. It won't be retrospective, so agents will be able to carry on taking a fee uh, so long as the tenants agreement um, gave provision for that. But any obviously new tenancy from when it becomes law, you know, will stop that practice. So that's going to stop. I think we've got to move beyond that. What I think it will do is it'll whittle out those cowboys in association with that we are looking at regulation finally in the uk which is quite exciting it's something that when i look back when i first joined mary she was actually standing up on her soapbox shouting at landlords shouting at local government trying to get um, the business recognized as a profession uh, and the standards recognized and needed and setting those standards at a high level um, and the governments in the past have, have been not wanting to regulate because obviously regulation brings its own issues and it's got to be regulated and policed. But I think finally, you know, Scotland's got its own regulation. Wales has got its own yep. regulation with Rent Smart Wales. And I've been down to see how that's operating. And as there all these things, there's an initial sort of concern about it. But actually, it's working quite well. And, you know, the UK, we're moving towards it. The devil's in the detail. We've got to see what how it's going to look, but I actually want to embrace that and move forward. Join us in part two of the podcast, where Frank looks at the future of property management, including regulation of the industry, the importance of being qualified, and how property management will adapt to future trends. Real IQ, the knowledge base of the property management industry, proudly getting the industry qualified.